Today, as we continue our series called Things Set Right, because we're looking at the Gospel of Mark, which tells the story of Jesus, and whatever you might have thought about Jesus, he made it very clear that he came to set things right, and that he invites us into that by first setting us right, and then inviting us to be a part of his setting things right. And today we're going to be talking about family. I think it's really interesting that when Jesus would talk about his relationship with the Heavenly Father and our relationship with the Heavenly Father, of all the different ways that he could have talked about that, he chose primarily the the, the metaphor of the family. You might uh, be familiar with the Lord's Prayer. When he taught us how to pray, the first two words are, our Father. Our Father in heaven. He related to God as his heavenly Father, and he taught us to relate to him as heavenly Father as well. So one of the primary ways that we understand our relationship with one another in the church in the body of Christ, but also with our with God is through this idea of him as our heavenly father. So in this passage that we look at today, we're going to talk about how God uh, defines his family and how Jesus presented the, the invitation for us to be a part of the family of God. So let's look first at the very first verse of the Gospel of Mark says, this is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. He makes it very clear from the very beginning who the, what it's all about. It's all about Jesus and who Jesus is, that he is the Messiah, he's the Christ, he's the anointed one, he's the agent of God to accomplish the setting things right, and that he is the Son of God. And then for the rest of the book, we see all these different stories and episodes from Jesus' life that are designed to bring us to this same conclusion that Mark had come to and that he starts out with. And I'll just point out one interesting thing because the, the intro is really foundational to the whole book. This is the way it begins. And then the way that introductory section ends is with Jesus announcing the essence of his message. It says in Mark 1.15 that the time promised by God has come at last. That time that he promised where he was going to set everything right, well, it has begun. The kingdom of God is near, and it is near, and it has come because Jesus is there. Remember, it's all about Jesus. Jesus is the harbinger of the kingdom of God and God's setting things right. So we've been going through the gospel of Mark, and now our next section is Mark 3, 7 to 35, and we'll read through that in the, its different segments in just a minute. But we're, today, we're going to be talking about the response to Jesus. In this section in particular, we see the various ways that people responded to Jesus and his message. We saw him announcing that the kingdom of God was near, and then we've seen him going about teaching and healing and getting away on his own to pray. And the distinctive about the way that he taught and his healings, his making things right, was that he taught with authority and he exercised that authority 
over the demonic, over illness, over everything that was wrong in the world. And now he's going to shift and say, okay, so the kingdom of God has come. I'm demonstrating that by what I teach and what I do, showing you that he is setting things right. And now he's going to tell us how we can be a part of it, how we can be a part of his family and citizens in the kingdom of God. And it's all dependent upon our response to Jesus. And we're going to see a variety of different responses in this passage. And the bottom line is this, that our standing with God is defined by our response to Jesus. Our standing with God is defined by our response to Jesus. And so, as a result of that, the challenge that I'm going to extend today is for all of us to take a step to identify with Jesus. If our standing with God is defined by our response to Jesus, then that step that we take is to identify with Jesus. And I'm going to explain it three different ways, baptism, communion, and fellowship. So, let's look at these three different passages and you'll see the different responses and see how Jesus defines his, uh, his kingdom by the way that people respond to him, their identification with him. Before we read the scripture, let's pray together. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have given us this opportunity to gather around your word, to hear the story of Jesus, to see how you pulled together your first followers how you identified with them and encouraged people to identify with you. Lord, I pray that for every person who is watching and listening, that you will give them insight and direction that they need. I pray that you would draw them close to yourself, that uh, in whatever way they need to identify with you, to respond to you in faith, that you would give them that gift. And I pray that you would show us how to be better and more effective uh, communicators of the gospel, that we would live it out in our lives, that we would share it through our words, and that more and more people as a result will say yes to you, identify with you, become a part of your family as a result. Make us good ambassadors for what you want to do and what you want to accomplish and the people to the people that you want to reach. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. All right, so let's look at it. There are three main sections in this passage. The first one is Mark chapter 3, verses 7 to 12. So I'm going to read that to you right now. It says, Jesus went out to the lake with his disciples, and a large crowd followed him. They came from all over Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, from the east of the Jordan River, and even from as far north as Tyre and Sidon. The news about his miracles had spread far and wide, and vast numbers of people came to see him. Jesus instructed his disciples to have a boat ready so the crowd would not crush him. He had healed many people that day, so all the sick people eagerly pushed forward to touch him. 
And whenever those possessed by evil spirits caught sight of him, the spirits would throw them to the ground in front of him, shrieking, You are the Son of God. But Jesus sternly commanded the spirits not to reveal who he was. Now, just as an aside, before we get into the main part of that, that last part where the, the, the demonic spirits are identifying him as the son of God, and he is sternly commanding them not to reveal who he was. We saw that there was a practical aspect to that because that was the main focus of an earlier section because the, le- the, the more the word got out, the less freedom Jesus had to move around. And you can see this in this passage that there was just this crushing crowd. And it, in order to just be safe and to teach the people, he had to get in a boat and go a little bit out into the lake just to avoid the crushing crowds. But I read also this week, uh, another aspect of that that I thought made a lot of sense was that Jesus' whole mission was to go to the cross. And so when uh, the demonic spirits were identifying him as the son of God, that wasn't the whole story. It was not only his identity, but what he wanted to do, what he was going to do to to inaugurate the kingdom of God through the cross. So the story wasn't complete yet. So the the story needed to be held back a little bit until the completion of the story. So I thought that was interesting. That's a little side note. No extra charge for that one. So in this section, it's going to answer the question, who is the gospel for? Who, who can be a part of the family of God? Because remember, our standing with God is defined by our response to Jesus. And in this first section, we see that Jesus drew large and diverse crowds. This answers the question, am I allowed to be in on this? Can I participate in the family of God? Because there are different ways that we think, oh, well, I belong or I'm not so sure if I belong. Uh, Some of you might be so comfortable at church because you grew up in church and you've heard the gospel and you've been doing devotions since you were a little kid. It's all familiar to you. So there was never a question, do I belong? For others, that hasn't been your experience at all. Maybe you're just checking out Jesus for the first time. Somebody invited you to watch or they invited you to come to church and so you're checking it out online first. And you look at your past and you don't have the same kind of background that they do. You look at your past and you have some things that you wonder, and you know, do I belong? Would I be welcome? Well, this passage answers that question. And to set that up, I want to remind you, if you've been watching for a while in our last series, which was an overview of the gospel of Mark, you saw this picture a lot because it was Uh, graphically representing how the gospel of Mark is set up. It's in basically two sections, the who and the how. Who, who is Jesus? Well, he is the Messiah. He is the king that God sent to accomplish his mission. And how did he accomplish it? It was through the cross. And that was kind of a twist. He's the king, but he doesn't set up his kingdom through conquering and through war, but through suffering and being a servant. And in the in-between time, there's that little transition where uh, Jesus identifies a, a, with 
he identifies himself to the disciples, confirms his identity. So there are two main sections with a little transition in between king and cross. But we also said that an indication that an organizing um, feature that Mark uses is geography. So this whole section happens in Galilee and this whole section happens in Judea around Jerusalem. And this whole section, I added the little sneaker this week because it's this happens on the way. They're in Galilee, they're on the way, and then they end up in Jerusalem. Uh, so I wanted to give you a visual representation because there's a lot of geography in that little passage that I just read. So this is a simplified map of the Holy Land and the three main sections here. Here's the Mediterranean Sea, which in the Bible is often called the Great Sea. Uh, here is the land of Israel. Up in the north, you have the Sea of Galilee. Down in the south, you have the Dead Sea, and then this is the Jordan River that connects the two. The first half of the book of Mark happens in the north in Galilee. The second half of the book of Mark happens in the south in Judea. And those little yellow spots are different cities that you might have heard of before. The star there is the capital. That's Jerusalem. That's where Jerusalem is. This little dot here is Nazareth, which was Jesus' hometown. This little dot here is Capernaum, where a lot of the action in the book of Mark has happened so far. It's right on the Sea of Galilee. And then in between, you have Samaria, not a lot happens there, but this is on the way. They were in Galilee. They head down to Judea. And that little dot is Sychar, which if you've been watching the Chosen series, a lot of the action, uh, the woman at the well and the visit to Samaria, that's happening in that city. So that kind of gives you this idea of what's going on. So in Mark 3, 7, when it says Jesus went out to the lake, he just assumes you know what he's talking about. Well, the lake that he's talking about is the Sea of Galilee uh, with his disciples and a large crowd followed him. And then it describes where they're coming from. And he says, they came from all over. They were from everywhere, from Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, the east of the Jordan River, and from as far north as Tyre and Sidon. So some of these places show up here. Tyre and Sidon are way up in the north, and these are primarily Gentile cities, although there would have been Jewish people there as well. Idumea is in the south. And there were converts to Jerusalem, but within the couple of hundred years leading up to that, that area had been conquered and people were forcibly converted to Judaism. So, you know, who, who knows how deep their allegiance was from the other side of the Jordan is talking about the eastern bank of the Jordan River. But he's just making the point that they were coming from all over and people who would have been Mark's first audience would have recognized that this was a very diverse crowd. You had the religious insiders from Jerusalem, and you had people who were definitely on the fringes from Tyre and Sidon in the north, from Idumea, from uh, on the other side of the river, 
what this is pointing out is that there was a large and very diverse crowd that Jesus was drawing. He was making not just the religious insiders, not just the expected people, not just the A-listers, but everyone was coming to Jesus. Everyone was being included. He was healing them all. He was teaching them all. He was welcoming them all. So if there's any question about whether you belong or whether you could be a part, he, I think that this passage hints at the answer that he was drawing people from everywhere. So that's the first part. Now let's look at the second section because remember, it's our standing with God is defined by our response to Jesus. So in all of these different things, you're going to see how Jesus drew people to himself and how they responded to that. In the second section, it's all about his uh, naming his disciples. Verse 13, afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain and called the ones he wanted to go with him, and they came to him. Then he appointed 12 of them and called them his apostles. They were to accompany him, and he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. These are the 12 he chose, Simon, whom he named Peter, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, but Jesus nicknamed them sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. Okay, so... After drawing this large and diverse crowd, he goes up to a mountain, he calls the people that he wants to be a part of his inner circle, he's going to appoint them as apostles. And again, our standing with Jesus is defined by our response to Jesus. They were invited to follow him. We've already seen two scenes in the Gospel of Mark already by the Sea of Galilee, where he called Simon and Andrew, two brothers who were fishermen, and John and James, another two brothers who were fishermen. Then we saw in Capernaum his calling of Levi or Matthew, the tax collector. He is defining our standing with God by our response and relationship to Jesus. And what he was doing in calling the disciples was this. He was restoring and reconstituting the people of God. In verse 14, it says, Then he appointed 12 of them and called them his apostles. Now, some of you might know in our system of government how many people are in the House of Representatives, how many senators there are. Maybe even you might know how many uh, judges are on the Supreme Court or how many circuit courts we have in the federal court system. But everyone, without question, would have known that the people of Israel started out as 12 tribes. And then... Ten of them, they split into two different nations. Ten of them were sent into exile and basically kind of lost their identity a little bit. Two of them lasted a little bit longer in the South and maintained their identity a little bit better. But everybody knew that the people of God started out with the 12 tribes of Israel. So here Jesus appointed 12 disciples called them apostles that he was going, that means people who were sent out, they were going to be his ambassadors. 
And it was very clear that he's saying this new kingdom of God is being reconstituted. And it's like the, the people of God is starting over again and it's starting with me. That was the clear message that Jesus was sending. And what were they going to do? These apostles, these 12, they were going to accompany him. He would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. Basically, he was going to empower them, train them to do the same things that he was doing. And remember how we said we've already seen the pattern where Jesus would teach, heal, and pray. You can see the same kind of thing. They were going to accompany him. They were going to hang out with him. They were going to develop that relationship. Just like he developed his relationship with his heavenly father, they were going to be around him. They were going to spend time with him. He was going to teach and preach. And then his apostles were going to teach and preach. He was going to give them authority to cast out demons, to bring healing and wholeness to the people. They were going to be doing the same kinds of things that Jesus had done. But basically, he's saying, look, because you're related to me, because I am appointing you, you are the new people, reconstituted, reestablished people of God. Now, this is the last section. This is Mark chapter 3, verses 20 to 35. One time, Jesus entered a house and the crowds began to gather again. Soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. But the teachers of religious law who had arrived from Jerusalem said, he's possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. That's where he gets his power to cast out demons. Jesus called them over and responded with an illustration. How can Satan cast out Satan, he asked. A kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. Similarly, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is divided and fights against himself, how can he stand? He would never survive. Let me illustrate this further. Who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man like Satan and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger. Someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. I tell you the truth. All sin and blasphemy can be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. This is a sin with eternal consequences. He told them this because they were saying he's possessed by an evil spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus, and someone said, Your mother and brother, your brothers are outside asking for you. Jesus replied, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he looked at those around him and said, Look, these are my brother, mother and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Wow, there's, there's so much in this passage. And uh, I'll first point out, this is something that, the, that Mark does over and over in the gospel. It's called a, a, a sandwich construction, where he starts out talking about one thing, then shifts to another thing or another story, and then back to the original. It's an A, B, A pattern. 
And whenever he does that, it's our invitation to kind of reflect and compare and contrast these two different stories. So here, you start out with Jesus' family, then you go to the teachers of religious law, and then back to Jesus' family. And in all these cases, it's showing that our standing with God is defined by our response to Jesus. And in particular, that Jesus defined the people of God by their relationship with himself. So this answers the question, well, how do I, how do I become a part of the family? And their different responses give you key insight into this. So it starts out again, first part, A, with his family. When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. So here we have his closest family and they see what's going on with him and they just don't know what to make of it. And they've come to the conclusion that he's basically lost his mind. He's just not right in his head. So they're going to try to intervene. So that's the first idea is he's, he's just crazy. Then right after that, he gives the contrast going into the second part, part B, of the teachers of religious law. So these were the experts in understanding and interpreting and applying the the Hebrew scriptures. They come from Jerusalem, which is the capital. That's the headquarters of the religious and civil life in their nation. And their take on it is that he's possessed by Satan. All right, this this kind of funny. Your your translation might say Beelzebub or something like that because that's literally. So there was this uh, Old Testament in that area. The Canaanite god was Baal, and he was sometimes called um, Baal Zabul, which means Lord of the high places because they would go up on the hills and on the mountains to worship him. He was the god on high, but in the Old Testament scriptures, they kind of switch that and kind of mock him a little bit and call him Baal Zebub, which means Lord of the Flies. It'd be kind of like our saying, uh, oh yeah, you're the Lord on high. Well, I think you're the Lord of the high. Only people who would high would be following you. It's kind of that same kind of deal. So it's using that word, Baal Zebub, translated through a couple of different languages. and But basically it's talking about Satan, the accuser, the enemy of God. He says, basically, the reason that he can do this, the reason that he can do all these things and cast out demons is because he's in league with the Lord of the demons. Now, I want you to notice something. His enemies, the people who just a couple of verses ago were beginning to plot about how to kill Jesus they admitted he did miracles, that he had power over the evil spirits. So that wasn't even in question. They just attributed that power to an evil spirit. And then there's that passage where because they were accusing him of being in league with Satan, that he says that that is an unforgivable sin. So now we're going to answer the question, have you committed the unforgivable sin? What it was, was blaspheming or slandering God's Holy Spirit 
because the power that Jesus was demonstrating was from God's Holy Spirit, not from an evil spirit. But they were attributing that work. They were saying that the Holy Spirit is acting in an evil way. That's what they're talking about. And I like uh, the message translation of this, which I think brings it out very clearly and I will allow you to put your heart and mind at ease. Uh, good translation, good because it explains exactly what's going on. So let's look at it together. Listen to this carefully, words of Jesus, I'm warning you. So he's, he's giving them a warning. He's telling them how to avoid problems, how to prevent going off the cliff. There's nothing done or said that can't be forgiven. There are all kinds of sins, all kinds of blaspheme, blasphemies, and God is ready to forgive. But if you persist in your slanders against God's Holy Spirit, you are repudiating the very one who forgives. So the, re- the way that you're going to get healed, the way that you're going to get forgiven is by the power of God's Holy Spirit. And if you are mischaracterizing God's Holy Spirit as an evil spirit, then what are you going to do? You're sawing off the branch on which you're sitting, severing by your own perversity all connection with the one who forgives. And then he makes it very clear. He gave this warning because they were accusing him of being in league with evil. So if you are at all concerned about do I, have I committed the unforgivable sin? If you believe in Jesus and believe that God was acting through him in the power of the Holy Spirit, then obviously you have not committed this sin. It's only by persisting in rejecting God in the person of Jesus and the power of his Holy Spirit that you saw off the branch that you're sitting on. So if you're at all concerned about that, you're showing that you believe that Jesus was who he said he was, that he could do what he said he would do, and you are not guilty of the unforgivable sin. So we did A, Jesus' family, he's crazy. B, the teachers of the law, he's possessed by a demon. And then back to A, the family, they show up at the city at, at, and the place where he is teaching. And it says, Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with him. These are the people that are close, uh, uh, the closest related to Jesus in the world. His mothers and brothers and other times even his sisters are mentioned. And in response to the people who are closest to him coming and saying, we, we need to see you. We need to talk. We need to figure out what's going on here. Jesus replied, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And then he answers it. He looked at those around him. Now, who are the people around him? These are the people that were following him. These are the people who were listening to him. These were the people that had identified with him. And he said, look, these are my mother and brothers. In other words, the the newly reconstituted people of God are going to be defined by their relationship and response to me. And the people that are going to be closest to me, like family, 
are the people who are around me. And then he says, anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. And look at how he's defining doing God's will. They're sitting around listening to Jesus. They are following Jesus. They're identifying with Jesus. It's like, you want to know what it means to be a part of the family? Look around. The people who have begun to follow me, who have identified with me, who have responded in faith to me, these are my mother and brother and sisters. Brother and sister and mother. He's making it very clear. It's crystal clear, painfully clear that our standing with God is defined by our response to Jesus. Not our past, not our history, not our geography, not our genealogy, but our standing with God is defined by our response to Jesus. So that's why I encourage you I encourage all of us, I'm, I'm going to take this to heart, to take some step to identify with Jesus. And I'm going to give you three, baptism, communion, and fellowship. The first one is baptism. What is baptism? It is an outward celebration of a change that has happened on the inside. Jesus said it's basically the first step of obedience. Take the gospel to all the nations, all the people groups of the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. What you're doing when you identify with Christ in baptism is saying that I'm going to follow Jesus from this point on. It's the celebration, it's the ceremony that we do when you say yes to Jesus. So right now, you can say yes to Jesus. You can turn your life over to him. Your past doesn't matter. All those other things that we talked about don't ma- do not matter. It's what are you going to do with Jesus? What is your response to Jesus going to be? I'm going to encourage you to respond in faith. And the way that you do that is you just say yes to Jesus. What are you saying yes to? You're saying yes to his identity as uh, your forgiver. That what he did on the cross is going to count for you. You're saying yes to his lordship, to his kingship, that he is the boss. He's going to get to call the shots and you're going to follow him. And when you make that decision, you are adopted into his family. You become a citizen in the kingdom of God. And the way that you formalize that is through baptism. Now, thankfully, we're getting to the point where we could probably have some baptisms real soon. So let us know. Uh, click on one of the links, commit your life to Jesus, text yes to our church number 603-225-2550 saying that you're saying yes to Jesus. We will follow up with you and we will encourage you and let you know and answer all your questions about baptism. But that's the biblical way. That's the way Jesus defined his first step of identifying with him and following him. It's through baptism. And then we go beyond that. How do we, uh, how do we celebrate and remember and uh, kind of like celebrate the anniversary of our becoming a part of the family of God? It's through communion. Baptism is a one-time deal at the beginning, kind of like a wedding. 
communion is kind of like celebrating your anniversary. It's a reminder of what's going on. So when we celebrate communion in person or online, participate in that. You are identifying with Christ. When you take in the elements of communion, it's like you're personalizing it. What Jesus did on the cross, spilling his blood, what he did on the cross by his body being broken, that's going to count for me. I'm a part of that. And you symbolize that by taking in the elements of communion. And then lastly, we talked about fellowship. To identify, well, here's what I mean by that, to identify with the people of God in a local area, a local congregation, a local assembly, a local church. Uh, we want you to participate in that. We want you to gather. We want you to watch together. We want you to show up in person as uh, allowable, but to just do that and to identify, it's important for you to have a church family. And so I'm going to encourage you to do that. When you become a part of a church family, you have a place to serve. You have a place to fellowship. Again, Jesus called his disciples together. They were going to accompany him. They were going to be together. And then they would be on mission. They would be sharing the truth by preaching. They would be on a mission of healing and restoring by casting out demons and taking that authority and using it to bless and to help and to heal. And when we gather as a church, our fellowship is not just like get together for potlucks. It's more like the fellowship of the rings. We are a people on mission to carry the message and the ministry of Jesus to our hurting world. Won't you be a part of that? Wherever you are, you can join hands, you can lock arms with us to identify with Jesus and to be on mission for Jesus. And if you don't already have a church home, then I encourage you to make this cornerstone your church home. We would love to lock arms with you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have told us very clearly how we can be a part of your family, how we can be citizens in your kingdom, and it's all about Jesus. We thank you that we can boldly proclaim the name of Jesus, that we belong to Jesus, we follow Jesus, we have faith in Jesus. I pray that you would give each of us wisdom and insight to know how we should particularly, individually respond to what we've heard today and then that you would give us the courage to act on that. Make us action figures. Make us people who act on what we hear, who live it out with integrity and intention. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.